Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to give you a heads up that we weren't able to record our sermon this Sunday the way we normally do, so I had to download it off of YouTube, which I've had to do a few times. So uh, the audio quality is not the greatest, but I hope you can still listen and get the gist of it. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see all of you, and as Ronnie said, some of who we haven't gotten to see in a little while, we're glad to have you back. And for those of you joining online, we, we do really appreciate it. We've been going through a series on the book of Romans, and a couple notes before I get into it. One, in case you're wondering, at this pace, we're going to be in Romans for like three years. Uh, my, my plan is, is we're going to get to the end of Romans 8 at Easter, on Easter Sunday. I think it will be very applicable. And uh, then we're going to pause, and we're going to do other series and things, and my plan is in 2023, I know when it'll, we'll bring it back. And that's mostly just because I, I don't want anybody to get wore out by one, one particular uh, thing. And so just wanted to let you know that. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that two years ago, in a few days, uh, was when I came and interviewed here, and I remember coming, and, and I remember no one knew what coronavirus, what is that? And I came and I interviewed, and I remembered after the luncheon, the elders offered me the job, and Catherine and I were like, oh, you know, normally, you know, they called maybe like three days later or something if they're going to offer, but nope, offered, and we whispered to each other, and said, can you give us a second, you know, uh, and we said, we'll take it, and uh, uh, then um, I remember Steve got up and was like, yo, they said yes, come on in, you know, to a few people that were around, and uh, anyway, that's... Uh, kind of cool to think about. And, and next Sunday will be will be my hundredth sermon. So for some of you, you're like, well, only a hundred? Some might be like, it's been, it's been like a thousand sermons. <laughs> anyway, so I just thought I'd uh, uh, share that. But we're really thankful to be here still today, two years later, and more more thankful than uh, than we were, we anticipated. And so if you would turn with me to Romans. We're going <laughs> to read the second half of Romans six today. And last week we read the beginning of the first half, and Paul basically is saying, I know what you're thinking. If I am such a big fan of God's grace and about how it's his grace that saves us and nothing we do, isn't that just going to like lead people to, to doing whatever they want, to sinning and just kind of encourage it? And uh, here in 615, he comes back to that question. So if you would follow along with me on the screen. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? <clears throat> By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now he gives this little, almost like you can imagine verse 19 in parentheses. He's saying, I'm using an example of everyday life because of your human limitations. He's saying, like, now, now before you get all upset, and he's saying, wait a second, you're telling me I'm a slave instead of free? He's like, I, I know, I'm using an illustration and an analogy. And he kind of, that's what he's saying in verse 19. Don't worry, I'm using this analogy that has limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now, 
Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. Get back and saying, yeah, when you were a slave to sin, you were free from having to live righteously. But what benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Wait, what benefit did you reap at the time yeah, from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you know, now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, so you now see how what he's done? He said, you were a slave to sin and you were free to not live righteously. Now he's saying, yeah, but now, and he said, look where that got you. But now you are free from sin, but you are a slave, uh, become a slave of God. The benefit you reap isn't death, but it leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what I'm going to do for the rest of the sermon is I'm going to point out two verses and kind of look at those particularly and then talk about the big point. The first verse that I want to look at closely is Romans 6, 17. There's five little details in here. Five in one verse that I think are worth pointing out. This first one you see I have highlighted. It says, the pattern of teaching. So when he says... But thanks be to God, though you used to be a slave to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching. And that means that part of being coming a Christian is that there is a certain body of truth. There is one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Kind of these central core things that are a specific message and a specific concept. That part of this, what you've done is there is a pattern of teaching that Paul is clearly drawing on. And frankly, I believe that that pattern of teaching is a pretty small list. And first and foremost, it is Christ is Lord. Does that make sense? You've been conformed to this pattern of teaching. The next thing that I really like is it says, you have come to obey from your heart. Earlier in Romans, we talked about how much he's drawing on these illustrations of, if you're just living to follow these rules and thinking that's going to lead to righteousness, there's really not a ton of heart transformation that's happened there. He talks, he calls out the Jewish people and he says, which he was one of them, is one of them. He says, listen, you call yourselves Jews, which the name Jew in Hebrew literally means to praise. Judah, uh, if you have a, a girl in your life in Judith, Judah or Judith means to praise. So they're saying you call yourselves one who praises God. But really, you just think your circumcision means you're all set. But I want a circumcision of the heart. I want your heart to have been changed. From your heart means that this truth convicts and affects your heart. Not some intellectual Christianity, not some rule following. Grasping the gospel changes one's bottom line in your heart. You have a new Lord in your heart. The next word I want to point out is obey. Obey is said a lot in this section. But it means that once the gospel truth has penetrated your heart, it, show, it shows itself in a real life change. It shows itself in real obedience to following Christ as your Lord. And this obedience comes from faith. Not because you care about Winning your, your righteousness through following rules, it's about obeying because your heart just wants to. Your heart longs to do those things. And then the fourth thing, which this is me personally, I think one of my favorite things is, it says that your, part, your heart, the teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And I want you to think, I'm, I'm really, I really do apologize that I overuse football analogies. There are going to be two in this sermon, I'm so sorry. But if you ask me, Drew, when did you choose to become a fan of football, of high school, college, pro, the Cowboys? When did you choose to do that? I don't think I can really pick a day where I had a whole bunch of 
sports in front of me or teams in front of me, and I, you know, I signed my contract to be a football fan. And it, it just kind of seemed to happen. And what I would say is it, it almost is like it claimed me. Sitting there in the stands at Bellman High School football games, watching the players, sitting with my dad in the living room, not understanding how he could possibly yell so loud at people that don't hear him or see him. But there was something in that that it claimed me. And what I want to say is I, I think, yes, part of faith in Christianity, crucial parts of faith, is that God has chosen you and that you choose God. I totally get that. But I think sometimes we've done a poor job of really elevating the us choosing God side of things and underplaying the fact that part of faith is just that God came and got you. He claimed you. He did something in your life through another Christian or through an experience where you just felt like, man, God absorbed me. Two more analogies. One, have you ever been to church camp before and you sang under the stars of the gazebo and you thought, this has got to be heaven on earth right here. If Jesus were to, I remember thinking as a kid, if Jesus were to come back right now, he, of course he would come here to Marble Falls, Texas, to this really dirt field with no grass and stickers everywhere. But because you felt like you were being claimed. Does that make sense? My last analogy with this claim is, I remember, I remember specifically meeting Catherine for the first time. She was a freshman in high school. I was a sophomore in high school. And I remember one time we were in Bible class on Wednesday night in the same youth group where I was just looking at her. You know, she's just a beautiful girl. And I was just kind of taken by her. And I remember her looking at me. And you know, you do that thing where you're like making eye contact a little longer than you probably should, you know? You're like, oh gosh, she's, she's looking at me. I'm looking at her. But did I in that moment go, that's it, I'm picking her, I choose her. No, it was a combination. I felt like I was claimed by her. You know, does that make sense? There was something about her that just grabbed me and held me, like I want to be around her. And this is what I want you to think of when he says this. He says, thanks be to God, that though you used to be a slave to sin, you have come to obey from your heart this pattern of teaching that has claimed your allegiance. It doesn't say that you looked at Buddhism and Muslim, Islam and, and Hinduism and, and the pagan, and you know what? I'm going to be Christianity. But there's a sense in which Christ came and claimed you and claimed your allegiance. And the last thing is this first part, the thanks be to God. It always reminds us in this whole process, we give thanks to God because it is God's grace that allows us to become no longer slaves to sin, but obedient to God in Christ. Okay, the second verse I want to point out is from Romans 6, 19. And here's my second football story, okay? In 2017, it was the last game of the season, the Bengals were playing the Ravens. The Ravens were winning, and Andy Dalton, anybody know who Andy Dalton is? He's red-haired, went to TCU from Katy, Texas, where I moved here from. I actually met him one time. Catherine, it was in soccer, or high school. I was a soccer manager for the girls' varsity soccer team. You can understand why. <laughs> and I was the manager, and I was, you know, what you do is you, like, help get the balls as they go out of bounds. And I'm working on it, and it was right after TCU had beat Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And I remember seeing it in the parking lot. I was like, that's Andy Dalton. I totally left my job, ran across the parking lot, and I said, are you Andy Dalton? He had a Burger King bag, and he's like, yeah. I was like, it's really nice to meet you. And then I ran back to my job. But anyway, um, so they're playing in the game, and he ends up, the, the, the Bengals come back and win the game. And that wasn't really all that significant, except for the Buffalo Bills had not been in the playoffs in 17 years. And because Andy Dalton beat the Ravens, 
the Bills were going to the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And the Bills fans are these really fanatical fans. They call themselves Bills Mafia. And what they did was they wanted to say thank you to Andy Dalton for helping them get to the playoffs, and they didn't know how. Bills fans got together and found that Andy Dalton has a foundation to help children with uh, handicapped children. And they raised $442,000 to Andy Dalton's charity as a way to say thank you. And so in verse 19, you're like, where is Drew going with this? In Romans 6, verse 19, he says, I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. And then he says this, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. He, he's saying, listen, before you had all this energy for these things that really weren't good for you. Now, take that same energy and use it for your righteousness. And I use the Bill's analogy to say, you know, we often can... I'm working on becoming less fanatical about sports. Ever since I got married to Catherine, whether I wanted to or not, I was going to become less fanatical about sports. And the idea is, is I'm using this analogy to say, this fan group has all this pent-up energy of wanting to say thank you, of wanting to do something. Like, yeah, we're so excited. And what they did is, instead of flipping cars or lighting couches on fire in the street, they said, let's channel our energy into something good. That crazy fanatical fan thing got turned into something good. I saw it this week. A guy who plays basketball for Tennessee volunteers. His mom, who they have a handicapped son, their house caught on fire, burned down. And he started a GoFundMe to help raise $50,000 to help like his family's home. How quickly do you think volunteer Twitter raised $50,000? In 30 minutes, they raised $50,000. And in four hours, it was up to $250,000. And so it's like, these people who have this fanatical thing are transferred into a good thing. And I, I'm using that analogy to say, I love how Paul is saying, listen, back when you used to live a life that wasn't worth those things, you put a ton of energy into that. Don't become a Christian and go, oh, well, because I guess I have grace now, I don't really have to do anything for Jesus. So no, take all that good energy and turn it from something not great to something that's really great. It's eternal and important. Okay, so here's my, my big point for the sermon. This is where we'll stay the rest of the message. The big point if you're a note taker, and this is the thing that Paul is saying over and over in this section is, you are a slave, you are a slave to someone or to something. Every single one of us. And if you're sitting here thinking, I don't think I'm a slave to, or I don't think I ever was a slave to anything, Paul lays it out. Um, here's a great quote from uh, Rebecca Pipper, is her name, that I think summarizes this idea great. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who seeks acceptance is controlled by acceptance. We do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our lives. Okay? Whatever the thing is that you think is the greatest good that could possibly come in your life, that is the thing we usually make our Lord, and that is the thing that all of our decisions wrap around. Now, yes, we're using language of you all have some God or some master that you are a slave to or that you worship. And it might sound like religious and weird, but we do it with everything. We do it in many different ways in our life. A few analogies I can think of is when you see any person who is absorbed in something, there is a point at which that thing is controlling them more than they are controlling it. 
If you don't think you could get rid of your cell phone for a day, like if you could put it aside for a day, there's a chance at which this thing that you think you own, owns you. If you're not careful and you accumulate tons and tons of things, Ray Sorrells has used this analogy in Romeo a few times. I think he said his, uh, Susan's boss had all this stuff, very wealthy man, all this stuff, and yet he seemed to be so busy constantly trying to take care of all his stuff that he had, all his different houses, all his different things. You got to the point where you're like, do you own those things or do they own your life? Do they control you? I watched, uh, there's a movie I've seen recently where this character is wrongly put in prison for 13 years. And when he gets out of prison, all he wants to do is get revenge on the people who put him there. And all of the people who love him are basically saying, listen man, you're free from prison. Move on, live your life. And he's saying, I can't, all that I have is my revenge and my hate for these people. And what you keep saying is they're, they're like, well, in that case, your revenge and your hate are owning you. You're not owning your revenge and your hate. If people have these dreams, big, huge dreams, dreams are good. But if you ever get to the point where you choose to say, I don't want to do this thing that I think God is calling me to because I don't know how it's going to impact this dream I have, that dream is your master and your Lord. Okay? There is none of us who can say, and, and this is what Paul is saying, there aren't a whole bunch of masters. There's either God or other. Does that make sense? There's not, well, I have this master, this, you know, God's my master sometimes, and this thing is my master other times. Nope. He's making it perfectly clear. You can't have both masters at the same time. As Jesus would say, what does Jesus say? You can't serve both God and money. You either love one and hate the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, no one can serve two masters from the Beatitudes, or from the Sermon So, what I believe Paul would say, and what I think we should take away from this sermon, is that if you think at all that, no, I don't, if, if someone listening who isn't a believer in God thinks, oh, I don't think I have anyone I, I'm a master to or a slave to, and that means that you're a slave or master to your own selfishness and your own desires. So what Paul continues on saying, which I think is an amazing point, and here's the next way I want you to think about this, is Paul says, all of us are a slave to something, and that leads to something. In every situation, being a slave to anything other than God leads to decay and death. But if you choose to be a slave to God, it leads to eternal life and holiness. And there's really not, this isn't one of those things, I, I mentioned this in Romans 1, but in Romans 1, Paul is trying to make the point that if you choose to live in certain ways, you are choosing, whether you realize it or not, that there is going to be behavior and character that comes from that that are destructive or good. So I'll, I'll use one of the most obvious examples ever. If someone is an alcoholic and they choose to bust up everything in their house with their fists and they have these bloody knuckles and all their property is getting damaged, God doesn't do that as a way of saying, listen, I don't want you to be a drunk, so I'm going to punish you. No, what he's saying is, God is saying, listen, if you give yourself to that life, you are literally going to destroy yourself. Your hands are bleeding and cut up. Your property is destroyed. Did God do that to that person? No. He's saying, in this world I created, when you choose to become a slave to that, it will lead to destruction and decay. And eventually, at the greatest extent, it will lead to what he calls death. But if you choose to become a slave to God, to Christ, whether, and like I said, it's, it's a tough analogy sometimes to think about, but in a, many ways, when you choose to make God your Lord and God your greatest good, 
that it will lead to life and holiness and righteousness and good things coming from your life. Not that not the health, wealth, gospel, that good things will happen to you. No, just that, like for example, to use the if you decide to drink water all the time, it's gonna have some positive results rather than becoming an alcoholic. So use that analogy. What Paul says in verse in chapter 6, verse 21, is he says, Yeah, let's think about this. When you used to be free from righteousness and a slave to sin, what benefit did you reap at that time? The answer that is given is that. You didn't admit that anything but decay and death more and more oozing out of your life. There is one route, there's one way of choosing to become a slave to a Lord, to be a servant, to a master, that does lead to life, and that is in Christ. When you sin, you earn a wage, and that wage is death. That is the repercussions, the consequences. But when you live according to God's way of holiness, you don't earn a wage of eternal life. It always still remains a free gift, far greater thing, far greater than anything that we could ever have deserved. But Paul does believe that there will be righteousness and fruits that come from that decision, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if you don't think that that permeating from your life will create a better experience for you, then you really, I really probably can't convince you of, of many things, rather than bloody knuckles in a torn-up living room. Sin pays out what we deserve for our work for him as our master, which is death, eventually. On the other hand, slavery to God leads to eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's meaning is not that just as sinful works bring death, righteousness merits life, no. Sin gives what we deserve, but eternal life is always a gift from God. Serving him does not give us salvation. However, when we ourselves, when we offer ourselves to righteousness, it leads to holiness. As we act according to the truth, our character and will are shaped into habits of holiness and righteousness. And this is true freedom, though it looks like obedience and submission to one Lord. My last way of thinking about this before we conclude. One crucial way to think of Romans 6 is this. Paul, and people are asking Paul, so listen, if, if I don't have to do all this good Christian living in order to be holy and made right, Where's my incentive? Where's my motivation? If I don't have this, you know, the carrot and the stick analogy, if I'm not afraid of going to hell, what incentive do I have for living this life? And here, here's, I think, a pretty cool analogy. I want you to imagine you're out and, uh, let's say it freezes like it did last year, and you're out on a pond and one of your children or your grandchildren or a young child that you love is ice skating out on the lake. And I want you to imagine that the ice breaks and your child falls in the ice. And you rush out there to try and save them. And you pull them out of the ice. And you are holding them. And I want you to imagine someday, the next day, the newspaper calls and hears what happened and wants to put you on the cover. In some ways, it will be nice that someone wanted to put you on the cover. But what is the reward of that? Is the reward that you got put on the front of the Clifton record? Or is the reward that you're holding your child alive? Does that make sense? I, I hope the answer is obvious. The reward is that your child is alive. And I think what, what Paul would say is he's saying, listen, if, if you don't necessarily realize that God isn't saying, hey, live this good life so that I can give you a, a medal, that a prize for living a good life. No, he's doing it. And we are so thankful to want to live this righteous and holy life because we're 
It's like the father who's holding the child, the mother that's holding the child. That's the reward. That's the reason we want to do it. Except for in our case, we're not the father that pulled the child out of the ice. We're the child that fell through the ice. We're the one that says, of course I want to live righteous and holy, and I want to be a part of this because I'm being held by the Father and the, the Savior who came and pulled me out of this. And it's not because I'm worried about getting a medal or not going to hell. Or The reason I'm doing it is because I, I couldn't help but just be so thankful that I'm alive, that I'm free, and I want to make that person my Lord. And so my, my last commission for you is in your life as you go about what you're doing, we do not live holy and obedient lives because of the medal or reward we want. We do it because of the love we feel for the Father and the Savior who holds us in His arms, who pulled us out of the lake. We choose Him as our Master. And so whenever you go through life and different things, it might feel like it's a real strain on you to think, oh, I've got to be a slave to God. But if you remember that God is the one who has your best interest in everything, He's the one that I would like to obey. He's the one I would like to make Lord. If any of you here haven't made Christ the Lord of your life and you want to talk about that, if any of you have any prayer requests or anything that we can be thinking about or helping you with in any way, I encourage you to come while we stand and sing this song.